Hey everyone, this is Sarah from Good Nightmare Podcast, a podcast where I like to talk about all things strange and unusual, whether it's mysteries, historical crimes, or fairy tale origins. I hope you'll come along for the ride and join me as we delve into some spooky tales. Happy listening! podcast where the Shadow Girls come together to talk about folklore, fairy tales and other strange stories that have caught our interest. I am Emily Collins. I'm Shannon Ninulon. I'm Deirdre Quinn. Yes, we're joined by a new voice today, Deirdre. Who, is she a witch? Is she a cunning woman? Is she a fairy princess? We don't know. <laughs> we might find out. My bets are on witch. Just saying. Oh, yeah. you're a good friend. So, uh, as you may have guessed from, probably from the title of this episode... <laughs> We are talking about witches and cunning folk. Uh, Deirdre, for people who don't know, what is a witch and what's a cunning folk and what's the difference? Ah, okay. So there's a few perspective view opinions on this. But the cunning folk were seen as a set of folk, usually women, but on occasion guys as well, who had fairy knowledge or knowledge of the other world and how to heal, cure, fortune tell... Be a bit of a clairvoyant, if you will. Mm. Um, and they were, had kindness to them because they were helping people in their time of need. Mm. But for witches, they were sort of depicted as a bit more... Malevolent. Yes. Sinister. Malicious. Yeah. You found uh, an interesting one about sort of the wild versus the domestic for witches and cunning folk. Yeah, so with cunning folk, there tends to be a focus on the domestic and they're very much settled in their place. So they're part of the community. A lot of the time, they're actually at the heart of their community. When something goes wrong, they, the community will go to the cunning folk or um, to their local kind of wise woman. Uh, they tend to be quite tied in with things like farming, butter making, birth, midwifery. Mm. And where, death. Death as well. Laying out in weeks. Whereas witches tend to be the force coming from outside. They tend to be kind of the malevolent thing that has done something to the community yeah. that the community need to fight against. They're often on the outskirts of the community, not seen as part of, not seen as part of the village or part of the whole. Mm. And they're, they're very much kind of feared. the bad guys, yeah. feared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there would sometimes be sort of like crossover, like I've, we've mentioned this book before, uh, The Good Folk. Is it called mm-hmm. The Good Folk? The Good People. The Good People. The Good People by Hannah Kent. Yes, in that uh, the cunning woman is being pushed outside of the community by sort of modernisation to the church and mm-hmm. just things not going well. So they could, there could be an overlap between the two, but in general, you liked the cunning woman, you'd welcome her in and you'd avoid mm-hmm. the witch at all cost. Mm-hmm. There's also in um, the Bible... <laughs> or the <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, what Not we, the actual Bible. Not the actual Bible, what we sometimes call the Bible... A treasury of Irish fairy and folk tales. It's the Barnes and Noble edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a chapter on witches and fairy doctors, and they say witches and fairy doctors represent powers from opposite dynasties: the witch from the evil spirits and her own malignant will, and the fairy doctor from the fairies, and something—a temperament which is born within him or her, 
The first is always feared and hated, and the second is gone to for advice and is never worse than mischief. Is never worse than mischievous. I can read words. <laughs> we believe you. Yeah. We believe you. What's interesting mm-hmm. about the cunning folk is that they tend to appear in a lot of Celtic societies mm-hmm. under different names. So in Ireland, there would have been the Ban Fassa, or the wise woman that translates as. In Wales, now please excuse my pronunciation, any Welsh speakers out there, and please do correct me if you know it. What's it? The Dean Husbies, uh, which is kind of the knowing people, or the knowing man or woman. Then in Cornwall, they have uh, the Pellers, which is, the, it's again, the same concept of the cunning folk. The, the good person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got ones here from the likes of Denmark, so any Danish friends, please excuse me. Uh, the Kloge folk, spelled K-L-O-G-E. Uh, in Germany, it's Hexenmeisters. In Scotland, they were known as the Charmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hexenmeister, that's a wonderful word. I know. That is nice. It's, it's, I, I like that sort of German thing. If we're going to put this, they, do, they can do hexes and they're masters of it. Hexenmeister. <laughs> yes. I like it. So there's this whole tradition of the good, no, the good people are the fairies, but the cunning people, the mm-hmm. knowers, the healers, mm-hmm. the herbalists. And they're often quite respected because... A lot of medicine that we know today, it comes from sort of years of people trying these things and then what works, mm-hmm. we now have scientific explanations mm-hmm. for, but even the medicine like aspirin, that yeah. that's mm-hmm. willow bark. Yeah. yeah, or penicillin, mould. mould. Yeah. And mm. people, they would know, they wouldn't necessarily know how it worked or why it would work, but they know it would work. Mm-hmm. So you'd come up with things, it was from the fairies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm... Oh. A lot of the time you see like these kind of rituals around the healing mm. of it, which if you look closely at them, you're like, okay, they're like, don't take it for more than three days because you will get sicker. And you're like, yeah. okay, that's overdosing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, like pick the moss under a full moon. And they're like, oh, because that means it's a certain, yeah, like it's, it's, it's not gone rotten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. if it's in the yeah. right sort of thing of its cycle mm-hmm. yeah and you do hear of those stories as well of say there was a wise woman who told you you had to pick that moss mm-hmm. under the moonlight for the next three nights mm-hmm. in a row yeah but you always hear the story of they always forget to do on the last night yeah. and then yeah. that's when something bad happens which mm. was partly because the, if something if it didn't work well, like it, well it's yeah, not it's my fault. fault it's your fault yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, a big thing i think about the ritual is it's also it's giving belief yeah. So mm-hmm. sort of almost being placebo or psychosomatic. Yeah, yeah. And also meaning you had to take that time. So it was something like it was to do with nerves or mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. like that. Because you had to t- take that time and concentrate. It was almost like a meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was uh, a great thing I read before in an Irish folklore medicine book. Now, you have to remember, there was people who were living in rural villages at the time, they would have to walk for miles and miles and miles on end to get to any sort of proper doctor as such. And he'd so, be expensive. At that too. And But it was said that the the reason why some people had such strong faith in the wise women is because they could say the remedies with such confidence that they believed in this confidence. And from learning which remedies work for different ailments uh, would work for same people and so on, they grew in confidence to tell them. And that confidence not just sold it to the person they're helping, but it gave that kind of placebo effect mm. of like, okay, I can sense in their voice that they know this is going to work. What, in, what Terry Pratchett refers to as headology. Headology, <laughs> yeah. Um, in, oh. We've talked about them a little bit before, but in the, in the witches' stories in the Discworld universe... 
um, <laughs> that a, a lot of their magic is headology, so it's just believing that it will work. Yeah, yeah. saying it yeah. with enough confidence, um, which is why one of the witches is called Magrat. Her name was meant to be Margaret, but her mother wrote it down and the priest pronounced it wrong. Uh, she is very knowledgeable about herbs and healing and things, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have the same confidence and presence oh. as the others, mm-hmm. which sort of brings up an interesting thing. It's also interesting in the, the Terry Pratchett thing, the witches, they mostly use herbs and headology, mm-hmm. but they can call on real magic when they need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they sort of have a thing of, if you use it all the time, it'll lose its power. You only use it when you need it. Yeah. Which is, okay. Which is they... Contrasting to the wizards. The wizards, which use it constantly for no apparent reason. There's, so, this, there's this wonderful dynamic between like the male wizardry and mm. the female witchery. It, it's sort of like that... Um, the wizards have the knowledge in the books, but the witches have the wisdom and the feeling. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of interesting yeah. thing about two different types of smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is again, it? we've gone on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I was, what I was trying to bring us around to is that in a lot of places like Ireland, these people, they were very respected. And we never really had much of a witch hunt in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have a reason for that as such. Because Andrew Sneddon, a professor from up in Ulster, who does an awful lot of work from the witch trials from up in Antrim, has a book about witchcraft in early modern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantastic little breed I found in the National Library. And he talks about how there isn't really much research done on this case. Um, but he reads a lot into it that people believe the cunning people from it because there's a sense of kindness. Mm-hmm. In England, there was very much a competition for witch hunts and witch trials and things like that. But in Ireland, not mm-hmm. so much. Interestingly, yeah. if you look at, you're saying that like the witch trials and stuff were mostly up in the north, up in Ulster? Yeah, there's, there's a, a few there. There's a lot there. of there's Scottish settlers. Yeah, no, witch Presbyterian. Trials, Presbyterian. Yeah. There was a huge thing of witch trials and witch hunting in Scotland, particularly because of uh, King James. Yeah, which mm-hmm. we've, we've yeah. talked about before, because <laughs> before King James, there were laws against witchcraft in England, but it was mostly, it was seen as a sort of a malicious misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. And then James, who was very superstitious and very believed that witches were out to get him and that they were servants of the devil, because mm-hmm. of course they would be if they were out to get him. Yes. <laughs> uh, he brought in these much stronger witchcraft laws, which aligned much closer with mainland Europe and mm-hmm. where you see most of the the very vicious witch hunts, it's often in Protestant countries. Yeah. Um, and Bob Curran has a thing in his beginning of his book, Oh yeah. A Bewitched Land, which is all about sort of witches and witch people in Ireland. He says at the beginning that Protestants have their witches, Catholics have their fairies. And that sort of the two philosophical doctrines align themselves either closer to fairy lore yeah. or to witch lore. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. sort of what you believed about evil. Yeah. Interestingly, with like Catholicism, I find that a lot of the time it just adopts a lot of the things that were there before. Yeah, yeah it's uh yeah. it sort of it's easier to get people on your side if you can still they can still do the mm-hmm. things they like. Yeah. Yeah. That's just why like a lot of the the Catholic saints are Sort of, they're borrowing from beliefs and mm. customs and like Saint superstitions. Bridget. Oh, Saint, oh yeah. the icon, the icon herself. I'm not pun, no mm. pun intended. But. We yeah. have to do a whole thing on Saint Bridget. Oh, yeah. oh if anyone goodness. can't wait, just look up some of the Saint Bridget stories that they don't tell you in school. Mm. They're brilliant. Oh yeah, some of the things she's patron saint of: breweries, midwifery, uh, children born out of wedlock, boats, <laughs> um, chicken farmers, Florida, for some reason. 
Why not? Kildare. And um, most interesting, children born into abusive homes. Because she herself was mm-hmm. born into the, the happiest of families. But Bridget probably would have been considered a witch. Yeah. yeah. Um, a few centuries later in a couple hundred miles to the west? East? East. East. <laughs> I can't do geography. Yeah. Um, we, none of us can. No. <laughs> we delve in stories in history, don't just... Not <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, even though we didn't really go into much of the, the witch trial things, we did have a couple of them. You mentioned the ones up in Antrim. Mm-hmm. But the first recorded witch case in Ireland, which I think is one of the like earliest witch trials in Europe, was about Dame... Alice, <laughs> Dame Alice in Kildare, who wasn't burnt as a witch. She escaped. Yeah, mm-hmm. And there's the whole thing. It's in Bob Kern's book. If I can just find a brief date. Excuse me while I flick through pages. We're surrounded by books. We actually look like we might be about to conjure a couple spare spells. Yeah, mm. uh, Dame Alice was accused of being a sorceress up in Kilkenny in 1324. So that's pretty early. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basic thing was it was a huge Kilkenny was a very prosperous town. There was a lot of trading, a lot of merchants, and it had originally been you know there'd been monasteries there and the church had been the power, but now there were secular powers coming, so there was a bit of conflict in there and it sort of came to a head with Dame Alice, who was you know, quite a prosperous woman. Mm-hmm. She was you know born into a reasonably well off family, and she married a man who was quite well off and he died and she married another man who was even more well off and he died and she married a third one who was really well off and he died and when she married yeah. the fourth people were going hang on a minute <laughs> mostly her stepchildren because her, her fourth husband he'd had children already yeah. and she sort of persuaded him to alter his will a bit so that her favourite son William who I think was William the outlaw sometimes uh, would inherit a lot and mm-hmm. this Basically, they were like, right, we're having enough of this. She's bewitched our father. And it became this huge thing. And there was one particular clergyman who seemed to really take against her. And Of course it was a man. <laughs> well, there was this whole sort of palaver with people being imprisoned and then released and then going off. And, yeah, it, was, it got a bit messy and complicated. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into the full thing because, I honestly, I can't remember all the dates and the names. But Dame Alice basically thought okay it's getting a bit too hot here I'm going to skedaddle and she went but those who'd been accused of helping her including one of her servants were stuck behind and under torture confessed yes we have been consorting with the devil and we've done all these magic and things and yes I did this but she's much worse than me she's much worse than me and were burnt uh, because not because they were witches witches were traditionally hung but because they were heretics because they had rejected Christ and his love mm-hmm. and actually in some of their confessions and some of the deals they were making with certain demons there was one demon who was said to be the son of art I can't remember his first name but he, he was the son of art which just stuck in my head uh, that one of the things they did was they had to not go to mass for a certain amount of days which I think is like it's not you're giving you're not giving a lifetime commitment to this demon it's just okay for a few months I'll do what you say which I quite like so just a bit of a fling more than Just a bit of a fling. A bit of a fling, yeah. Sort of casual. You, don't, you know, you want to keep your options open. Casual demonology, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Some so, people dabble, some people yeah. commit. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so Dame Alice would be considered one of the first witches in Ireland. Um, but she's not the type of witch we're going to mostly be talking about, who were cunning women, who didn't deal so much with bewitching and consorting with demons. They were more interested in birth and butter. 
So, like Shannon said, they were very involved in the community and... Mm-hmm. In the county where I grew up, Kildare, I'll say I'm a Dublin person, but I'm really from Kildare. I knew it. No, I'm not. My family's from Dublin. Shut up. There was a woman called Moll Anthony who was kind of the quintessential community witch or, like, cunning folk. Mm. Her real name was Mary Leeson. She lived in... Why did she change it to Moll Anthony? Uh, I'll go into oh, that now. Yeah. Okay. She she lived from 1807 to 1878. Um, she... Oh, Moll was a kind of traditional, like, ruralisation of Mary a lot oh, of right, I was time. thinking Molly. Mm, yeah. Um, and then Anthony was her father's name. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, so it was like Anthony Small. Yeah, it was interestingly about her grave. It, the maths of her birth don't make sense. I know another lady like that. Mm. Yeah. So there's two headstones beside each other. First of all, one says, Erected by Catherine Leeson of Grange Hill in memory of her dearly beloved husband, James Leeson, who departed this life 27th of April, 1894, aged 64 years. So that would have been Mary's son. Mm-hmm. Um, or Mal's son. And Malstone says, erected by Mary Leeson of Punches Grange in memory of her mother, Eliza Cronley, who departed this life 11th of December, 1851, aged 20 years. Also the above named Mary Leeson, who died 28th of November, 1878, aged 71 years. That doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. Mm. Hmm. So there was no way that Moll could have been 71 if her mother had died in 1851, age 20. Mm. Someone. Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of theories around this that she was maybe born out of wedlock and stuff, but the kind of the folklore of it is that she was a changeling. Oh. Nice. Mm. Okay. So See the... episode one for changeling details. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... There's this really lovely story about there's um this funeral going down a road and two boys see the funeral going past. So as was the custom, they took off their hats, stone signs, and then followed the funeral down the road, even helping carrying the coffin and stuff. When they got to their destination, though, all of the other mourners walked off and disappeared into the mist, leaving this coffin there. Mm. Then they looked inside the coffin... And there was a body in there, but it was living. Ooh. It was the body of a young girl. So they brought this young girl home, these boys, and she was brought into their home, and their mother called her Moll. Um, oh. and the girl lived there for nine years, and after nine years, the mom says to one of the boys, well, she's brought a lot of good luck, because kind of good things had started happening. The... Farm was doing better than it ever had, and they kept getting lucky in things like yeah. they'd win bets and um, just very fortunate things would happen. The cows were giving a lot of milk, and the eggs were laying double. And yeah, um, so they're like, "Oh, let's let's keep this luck in the family. Let's keep Mal." And they'd all grown to love her, so um, one of the boys married Mal, and soon enough they had three little kids, and then one day, uh the boy, now the man, married to Mal, decides to go buy a horse. And Mal's like, well, I, I actually I wouldn't mind going with you. That It's never come across, like, this urge has never come upon me to go anywhere before. But, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to go. And they were like, okay, we'll leave the kids with our 
Mom, let's go off to the fair. And they get there. He's making a deal with the person selling a horse. And the person selling the horse looks at Mom and says, you know, you're the spitting image of my daughter. But my daughter died nine years ago. Oh. And then they, they keep making the deal anyway. And they go to a local pub to finalise it. And they're As there, mm-hmm. and they're oh, there with the guy who's selling the horse. He's a rich landowner and his wife. And his wife hasn't really been paying attention. She looks at Mal. She goes, you know what? You do look very like my daughter. There's a bit of a silence. And she goes, can I see your back? And Mal, of course, turns around. Shows her, and she has a raspberry birthmark oh. on her back oh. that the daughter has. So mm. they're like, oh, you, you are the daughter. Somehow, we don't know how. But that, either that was the actual daughter or that was the changeling. Mm. And then Mal, she started to learn kind of the, the crafts of being a wise woman. It's blurred a little bit. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of things about how you learn to be a cunning woman. Mm-hmm. And yes. yeah. a lot of the times they seem to have, they were very secret about their knowledge, I suppose, because it was their, their livelihood. Mm-hmm. But it was almost as if, if I tell you, then I don't, I'll, I'll lose it. Yeah. So there was a lot of things like, I'll give you this cure, but you have to take it in secret and mm-hmm. don't let it touch the ground before mm-hmm. you get home and yeah. all these traditions. All sorts of rules, like there was, with Mal in particular, she had a particular cure that she'd give to people mm. and it had to be administered in three doses. So you took two bottles home on your first trip back from Mal's. And you had to not talk to anyone on the road, not stop and rest. And yeah. you'd kind of be tested on the way because the strong magic within the bottles would attract evil or yeah. badness around you. So you'd have to follow all these rules and then get the last bottle, come back on another journey and yeah. follow similar, if not more difficult, rules again. Yeah. And there's also a thing, they, they wouldn't take payment Yes, mm. that was uh, a big thing. It was a big thing that you couldn't charge for your services, at least not in coins. There was sort of mm-hmm. an understanding that... You, you know, would receive gifts. You'd, you'd yeah. get gifts, and they were always gifts, but it was never yeah. a payment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing that comes up in the Discworld novels, where Granny Weatherwax in particular, who is... It, witches don't have a hierarchy, but if they did, she'd be the head witch. <laughs> she's, the leader yeah. they, she's the leader they do not have. Uh, <laughs> But she sort of does a number of things and people sort of very grateful and go, oh, and, oh, what can I do? How can I repay you? I, I take no payment. But if you have any old clothes lying around, you might drop them over. Particularly black, size 10, boots, and like this height. And <laughs> if you happen to have this... And because I'm Half a rich, sugar. I can foresee what's yeah. in your wardrobe because I have the witchy mm-hmm. bones. I know exactly yeah, what's in I, your I'm wardrobe. running low on milk, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. And mm. speaking of milk, they were very into milk and butter. Mm. Uh, yep. And was a, a lo- like I said, they got their charms and things from being favoured of the fairies or being changeling fairies or having a deal with the fairies. There was a big thing of if you spent seven years with the fairies, you'd come back and you'd be either a great poet or a great healer. Mm-hmm. Uh, women tended to be healers and men tended to be poets. Mm. I don't know what that says, but... Uh, but about charms to do with butter. And normally if your butter wasn't going well, there was... Something was up. And I found an interesting story that was recorded by Lady Wilde. 
wait till I get the details out. Oh, is this the butter churning of the um of the magical branch from the tree? Ah, uh, this is the the one about the uh, the evil widow. If I can oh, find yeah. the sorry, I ruffle pages. Totally doing this sound effect for an SMR thing. Mm-hmm. If any would like to know, it's like the it. ideal fairy tale book with a gold trim and the green leather backbound book. It's a uh, beautiful book. It looks a little bit like a grimoire, <laughs> but it really is a lovely book. It is a beautiful book. So this story is called The Wicked Widow and it was recorded by Lady Wilde, who was Oscar Wilde's mother and was a great writer and collector in her own right, but is normally remembered because of her son. <laughs> uh, the story goes that somewhere in The Wished... The, the wished, wished, the wished, which is the wished, the wished. There was the wished a, and wished. There was a young farmer called Hugh Connor, and he was a he was a very handsome man, and he had a prosperous farm, and he was a single man. So of course he was looking for a wife, and there was a young woman called Mary, one of the Leodons, if you know the family, <laughs> uh, who. You know, caught his eye and they got on and they were married. And the story would have ended there happily ever after. Except before he married, Hugh had been, as Lady Wilde said, keeping company with a certain young widow. Mm. Uh Who had assumed she was going to be the new bride. Mm. And was not too pleased when he married someone else. And rather than take out her not entirely undeserved wrath on Hugh, she turned her rage against Mary, seeing Mary as the interloper who had someone stolen away the what was meant to be her man. But she came up with a very clever plan. She showed Mary nothing but kindness. And she'd go up to the young bride every churning day and sort of help her and show her the ropes because, you know, she was a new wife and you know, she hadn't made house. And the widow, of course, had a bit more experience. And Mary became very fond and began to think of her neighbour as sort of her greatest friend and ally. And there's a big thing about milk and butter, that someone could steal the butter out of your milk, which is why you would be a bit hesitant to, if someone knocked on your door, to give them a, a bit of your milk, just in case they were putting some witch or it was a witch in disguise. And if you did give someone the milk, you'd always you'd make sure they drank it in the house, they didn't take it away to do something with it, with sort of sympathetic homeopathy, magic-y mm-hmm. stuff. But Mary, she trusted the widow, so of course she let her have the milk and do things. What she didn't know was that the widow had gone to a witch and was learning secret black arts. And before long, things kept going wrong in the house. Mary would be churning and churning the butter, but it wouldn't come. And if it did come, it would be rancid and sour. And things got worse and worse. The, The plates on the crockery would be knocked off the shelves. And the worst thing came when a picture of the Virgin Mary, which had been given to her by her grandmother, now deceased, was suddenly knocked off the wall, out of its frame, and blew into the fire. And, of course, Mary just broke down in tears. She thought her house was cursed. Maybe there was a poltergeist. Maybe they'd built it on an old fairy ring. She didn't know what was going on, but she was weeping her heart out by the fire when an old woman in a blue cloak happened to be walking past. A stranger to the village. No one had seen her before. No one knew her name. But she saw Mary weeping, knocked on the door and asked if she could come in and help. And Mary, of course, said, yes, come in. And well, as soon as the woman in the blue cloak set foot over the threshold, she knew something wasn't right. She got a feeling. And she asked Mary to tell her what were her woes. And Mary explained that just things just kept going wrong. And that 
the butter wasn't coming. The big thing, the butter was the big thing because churning butter was a woman's thing. And if a woman couldn't churn butter, well, then she was no use. Mm-hmm. And the woman in the blue cloak goes, "This, someone's put the evil eye on you. And she got iron. Iron is always good against magic. Iron plowshares, and she put them in the fire. And when one was heated hot, she placed it beneath the churn. She placed the other under the fire things and seemed to wave her hands over it and over the door as if making some symbol, possibly a sign of the cross or something else. And as soon as she did this, they heard the widow, their neighbour, begin to scream and scream and scream. And she came running, screaming out, Mary, Mary, take the fires out, take the fires out. It's burning holes in my heart. I can feel it, I can feel it. Because the widow had been the one making the spells. And the woman in the blue cloak vanished, never to be seen again. And the widow was shunned for the rest of her days. And when she died, out of what Miss Lady Wilde calls vexation, (laughs) which I like, just getting so fed up with everyone that you'd die, no one came to her wake. No one would carry her coffin to the graveyard. And it's said that some mysterious force spirited away the body because it was never found. So that's how you can, uh, you can use fairy magic to mysterious ends. But the thing I like about the body being stolen away is that there's a lot of magic about stealing butter that involves dead bodies. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, on a like, wee side note to that, there are two things that can be found in the bog lands of Ireland. Bodies and butter. Yes. Bog butter is yeah. one of my favourite things. Yeah. You can tell I'm such a city girl, but I think bog butter is amazing. <laughs> it kind yeah. of is. Yeah. 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 Two things yeah. that were set to preserve in Irish boglands were human bodies and big lumps of butter that if you find them, they're, they're sometimes hundreds of years old. They are still edible. Mm-hmm. In the centre. Yeah, in the centre. In the centre, in the center, yeah. yeah. yeah Not the bits on the outside yeah, that are covered. Which are kind of weird and yeah. waxy and yeah. sort of almost like corpse wax. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we went on a trip, I can't remember where, down the country, and there was a gentleman who had a complete array of different milk bottles throughout the generations in in Ireland, but he had one, if not two, lumps of bog butter. Mm-hmm. And I found Indeed. this fascinating. And, and even he the had nat- a third, but it was taken by the National Museum. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that because if you find anything more than two feet underground in Ireland... It belongs to the state, so you have to give it to them. Yes. And so if you don't, will. they'll come and take it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that might get edited out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some cures and things that you can use dead bodies for, but before, one of the most famous and well-known cunning women, good witches in Ireland was Biddy Early. My girl. Yeah, your girl, dear. I do love Biddy. Now, I must give you a pre-warning. I will talk about a gentleman called Eddie Linehan quite a bit because Eddie Linehan is probably the most prolific writer when it comes to Biddy Early. Biddy Early is possibly my dream woman because (laughs) she was married between four to six times. They can't say for certain. The second last husband that she had, who died, she ended up marrying his son, who was half the age of Biddy. Keep it in the family. Indeed, of course. Also, but thankfully, that's... get some, Biddy. I know. Yeah. The girl is... It was said, there was a few stories here and there of, like, the men of Clare knew who Biddy was. Because although she was meant to be quite a um, 
not as tall. She wasn't a six foot tall fashion model, whatever you want to call it. But she had a certain charm about her. And she yeah. could drink and smoke a pipe and play cards with the best of them. Oh, without a mm. shadow of a doubt. Which was seen as very unladylike behaviour. Oh, completely. To segue yeah. for a tiny second Hi. back to Terry Pratchett. <laughs> oh, yes. Nanny Og! Nanny Og! is very much based on Biddy Early. So oh, if you've yes. read the Discworld books and are familiar with Nanny Og, yeah. you kind of get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Nanny Og to a T. Um, I must tell you, listeners, that the Emily and Shannon are the two that have brainwashed me, if you will, into the world that is Discworld. <laughs> um, I've watched a few interviews with Terry Pratchett and... It was stated in an interview he did on The Late Late Show that he went to visit the actual cottage where Biddy Early lived, which was out near, um, in between the places of Fecal and Kilbarren. Now, if you're from Clare yourself... Fecal's a terrible name. Fecal mm. is a very unfortunate name, but it is quite a place where many people do still try to trek out and get to see the cottage of Biddy to try to connect with her there. But um, Terry, Terry Pratchett went to the cottage to sort of try to... Um, get inspiration for Nanny Og and the like. But what makes my heart so, so happy is if anyone knows what, what Eddie Linehan looks like or have has met the man, the fact that Terry Pratchett, Eddie Linehan and possibly Neil Gaiman were all in a room some, somewhere makes <laughs> my heart so, so happy. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the three of the maddest characters. But the reason why Biddy Early was so well known like we said before, when it comes to cunning women, they're extremely kind to people and they would do anything in their power to help a person. Mm. Now, what was a great skill of Biddy's is that, say if you came to her cottage quite close to Fecal, you wouldn't have to ring the doorbell because she already knew that you were there mm. and she already knew about half the problem that you had. For example, if you had a child who wasn't well, if you had a wife who you felt was a bit unwell herself or just something of yourself and saying there's a certain amount of stories about men turning up to Biddy's cottage and saying, look, there's a really bad pain in my stomach and I don't know what it is about it. And Biddy would once in a while say, just go to the doctor. And by sounds of it, that was her way of saying, you're an alcoholic, you need <laughs> attending to get out of my cottage, um, which I, th- I only read about today. But Biddy is also very well known for carrying around a, either a blue bottle of water or a bottle of water that had some dirty water in it. And this was seen as her fortune-telling ball, if you will. She would look into it and she would find the wisdom of the fairies there and be able to give you the advice that you would need. Now, on her deathbed, which was interesting about this bottle of water, it was said it was given to her as a gift from the good people, the fairies of Ireland. And on her deathbed, it was requested that this bottle of water would be thrown out to the lake that was just quite close to her cottage, as this was to be wisdom, was to be given back to the Mm -hmm. fairies. Now, there have been many stories and speculations of people coming back and trying to search for the bottle again, but I just love the air of mythicism or ratism, or that it'll never be found again. King Arthur's sword being thrown back Mm. to the lake. Oh, totally. Totally and utterly. Um, but there's countless stories of how she would help people. And in return, mm. like we said before, she would be given gifts of whiskey. Yeah. She'd be given gifts of food and so on and so forth. Like, um, But what has me so, so happy is that Eddie is after re-releasing a book he wrote in the 1980s um, all called In Search of Biddy Early, which is a collection of stories he met from local people around the area and their tellings of her stories. Um, and in the new edition, it actually has the death cert of Biddy Early and the death cert of Tom, 
who I believe was the second last husband. But you hear of all these accounts of how she helped so many people. But she, wasn't she rumoured to have helped royalty? Yeah. Like European royalty came yeah, over to um, declare to meet this, this little old woman living in her thatched cottage. Yeah. There was meant to be English royalty, I think, mm-hmm. came over to visit her at one point, as the rumour goes. But there's some people make the assumption that she actually cursed the Clare Gaelic team. And oh. that's why they have... Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yes, okay, yes. Yeah. Now this is Eddie's okay, this is Eddie's phraseology in the book. Um and I'll try to find the wording for you. And it says the very cats and dogs of Clare know that the reason why Clare hasn't won an all Ar- all Ireland senior hurling title since 1914 is because Biddy said that they wouldn't until the last member of that team died. The fact that they did not win in all the years since was taken as proof of her power. Only no one bothered to ask a woman who died in 1874 could have made such a prophecy in 1914, 40 years after her own death. (laughs) So, (laughs) there is the master telling you the final word. It was not Biddy Early who cursed the Gaelic team. Well, her dates are... For anyone who doesn't know what Gaelic Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. it's... uh, the GAA, the Gaelic Athletics Association, their traditional Irish um, sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gaelic football and hurling. Yes. Mm-hmm. And camogie, yeah. yes. which is hurling but with girls. Yeah. Yes. It's the fastest sport in two legs. <laughs> oh, and the most vicious as well. It is. It's it's basically, I think they only, like in the last you know, couple of years, said, no, you have to wear a helmet because... There were huge ructions when they made them wear yeah. helmets. Because mm-hmm. yeah. think of a think of like a hockey stick, and then sort of like beat it flat at the end, yeah. and then get a ball that's just as hard and about the same size as a hockey ball, and everyone's hitting it up in the air, mm-hmm. and hitting each other with the sticks. And the sticks are made of ash, which is very hard wood. And uh, yeah, and they've metal strips on the bottom as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go yeah, it's it's amazing to watch. Yeah. And it was originally, it was a form of hunting and training sort of young men to become yeah. warriors and things. Mm-hmm. Because you'd, you'd hit the slither. Team building skills. Yeah. <laughs> but you could like hit the slither to, to like take down a deer or something. Mm-hmm. And there's the big story about Cúhollán and his, his slither and how he got his name. And mm-hmm. I don't like that story because it kills a dog. Yeah. Thankfully there are no dogs in the room to hear this. Thankfully. Thankfully. Uh... Could I mention one other quick story about Biddy, if that's oh, okay? Yeah. It's a There's fairly... so many great stories about Biddy. I know. Um, if you get a chance to YouTube Eddie Linehan or YouTube Biddy Early, you will be going down an absolute rabbit hole of It's a wonderful stories. rabbit hole. Um, but there is one story that's fairly well known of Biddy. Um, we mentioned up before about clergy and religion having a view on cunning women and witches and the fairy culture itself. But there was a story of Biddy... Many people looked up to her, but they would still attend Mass themselves um, because she was not using her work for a higher power. But there was always a reason why she would attend Mass herself at times. But there was a new priest who had uh, been assigned to their local church and he denounced Biddy Early as a witch on the altar. Now, some people had feelings about this because Biddy had been very kind to them and didn't feel this was the right thing to do. But uh, one day, this priest in question decided to go and take a wander down to the cottage and see. So he jumped onto his horse, went down, followed the river, and tried to find the Humpty Bridge that you would find head down to the cottage of Biddy. But as he was going alongside this river, he met a friend, or one of the parishioners, um, who was going down to Biddy to ask for help. 
And so he had walked into the cottage and Biddy, in her own way, had found out that the priest was coming to visit her. And the parishioner, walking past the priest on the horse, says, don't worry, she already knows you're coming. (laughs) So he walks on home, the parishioner, and for some reason, when the horse tries to get closer to the river, he stalls and he hesitates. Um, And any time that the priest tried to cross the river, wasn't looking well. Um, So he stayed one side of the river, although the priest was adamant to cross. And then the next day or so, when the parishioner came back to go visit Biddy again, uh, he tried to figure out what was going on. And there, what happened was Biddy had cursed the river, so he would not be able to, the priest would not be able to visit Biddy's cottage that day. But it was said at the funeral of Biddy that all clergy attended her funeral and they believe, including the same priest, that she had cursed not to be able to cross the river. So um, there's a great version that Eddie tells that on YouTube and I definitely recommend checking that one out for it. Yeah, she she has some contentions with the the clergy. Oh, indeed. She she got on well with some of them. Yeah. Yes, but uh, some of the bizarre cures Mm. and curses. Mm -hmm. I mentioned dead bodies. (laughs) <laughs> uh, there's a big thing about the dead hand which is you get the hand of a dead person um, like there's the hand of glory which shows up a lot which is particularly the hand of a hanged criminal uh, which you could turn into a special candle but you could use the hand of a dead man to steal butter <laughs> you would get the ha- I think I've heard before Yeah, you would, yeah. Get, you would get the hand of a dead man and you'd get a little bit of milk from the person who tried to steal the butter off mm-hmm. you'd pour it into your own butter and then you'd rake the hand through the butter through well through the milk and then when you churned it you would get the butter from your own milk but you'd also be getting the butter from the milk that you had stolen from that person oh. yeah which was a uh, icky mm-hmm. this is all pre-pasteurization so i'm not sure i'd want to eat that butter but that was mm. but once you'd stolen the butter with the dead hand you could have another use. You could use it in love potions. Yeah, Deirdre, didn't you have a few love potions oh, there, yes, actually? Indeed. All this talk about dead hands, my foot has come completely yeah, dead. So is mine! Yeah, oh, so is mine. We're all oh, sitting on the floor. Oh, okay, now it's got a leg. Alright, well, while Deirdre's leg is coming back okay. to life... Um, I'm, I'm just going to sit like one of the French girls. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, for any Titanic fans out there. Yes, indeed. How you might use the hand, because I think you were using the full skin. Um, yes, but, the full skin. Yeah, it's you, another Lady Wild gem. Yeah. But just on the dead hand, how you'd use the dead hand would be you'd take the skin off the dead hand, dry it, grind it up, take the liver of a black cat, grind it up as well, then mix it in with your tea leaves and serve that tea to the person you want to fall in love with you. Aww. And the thing is, this has to be topped up because if you don't, the love you conjure in them will turn to hate. <sighs> So, yeah, you need to keep making that tea. Nobody wants heat. Whenever anyone comes to my house, I always offer them a cup of tea. And that's why everyone loves you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was on a trip to Poland and I bought a very colourful uh, box of tea and it was called Lady Lipton Tea. Oh. And it was for rejuvenation and it was for <laughs> the lady in you. And it was for this and this. Who wrote the copy on that? don't even know a very distressed creative writing student oh i most definitely think so but there is actually something that i do bring up because we're coming up to um a turn of a festival 
there's one thing that happened on the start of the Bialtana festival on the very first day of May. And it is girls are encouraged to go grab a snail from the field at the time of morning dew, bring the snail home and place it on a plate that was dusted with flour. And then that snail will draw out the very first initial of the man she's going to marry in her future. So snails were seen as deviation and fortune telling and things like that. So maybe it was dark days and they didn't have, you know, Netflix. So they saw the snail outside the garden and thought, let's you know what, I'll thinking. give it a go. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what the snail says. Um, but I mentioned before, um, Emily talked about Lady Wild and she is fantastic when it comes to the fairy stories. Fantastic when it comes to the superstitions. But there is this thing I read earlier on that made a few people horrified when I read it out loud. <laughs> and it's called A Wicked Spell. And it says, when a girl wishes to gain the love of a man, because we all do, and to make him marry her, the dreadful spell used is called, now pardon my Irish, Dremel August Thorell. Would you like me to? Yes, please. Yeah. Sean's a girl gore. Now, okay. Dremel August Thorell? Well, it said that this dreadful spell was used at the dead of night. She the girl who wishes to marry the man, Uh, she and an accomplice go to the churchyard, exhume a newly buried corpse, and take a strip of the skin from head to the heel. This is wound round the girl as a belt with a solemn invocation to the devil for his help. After she has worn it for a day and a night, she watches her opportunity and ties it around the sleeping man whose love she desires, during which process the name of God must not be mentioned. When he awakes, the man is bound by the spell and is forced to marry the cruel and evil harpy. It is said the children of such marriages bear a black mark around their wrist and are known shunned by the people who call themselves sons of the devil. Ooh. Yes. You had a, another one, a cure for whooping cough that involves a dead body. Oh, yes. Um, this is something that I have been told my grandfather did many years ago. Um a cousin of uh, mine... First, what's the statute of limitations on uh, disrupting a corpse? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. If the headmaster to the Kells National School can do it, I think anybody can do it. Um, <laughs> he, at the time, it was this was in the 1980s when my eldest cousin, who we all fractionally call Wee Kevin, um, Wee Kevin was suffering from the cough when he was just a toddler. And so my grandfather had heard of a cure. Well, the cure that my grandfather heard about was going to meet Cavan Border and going to find a bishop's skull. And he had to drink water from the bishop's skull to cure the whooping cough. Now, if my grandfather brought home a skull that supposedly <laughs> belonged to a bishop that supposedly had water in it and made my cousin drink that water, so be it. If it was a glass of tap water from the kitchen in Kells that he made my cousin drink at the same time, who was to know? But your cousin Um, got better. But my cousin did get better. And now he is a father to an absolute dote called Owen. Um, But we're all a little bit sad that uh, my uncle Kevin, who was a father to wee Kevin, did not call wee Kevin's son wee wee Kevin. Is the only alien, yes. But uh, yes, they're all going to be firemen in their house, I think. Okay. So that'd be good. But you had some... um, Real interesting cures yourself. Yes. One that also involved snails. Oh, yeah. One involving snails, it's for venereal diseases. Mm. Um, 
Just give me one second oh, and I'll find it now. So I found it in a little museum in London called um, the... Oh, the Old Operating Theatre Museum and Herb Garrett. That was the full name of it. Now, that's snail water, a treatment for venereal disease. Take garden snails, cleansed and bruised, six gallons. Earthworms, washed and bruised, three gallons. Of common wormwood, ground ivy and cardus, each one pound and a half. Penny royal, juniper berries, fennel seeds, aniseed, each half a pound. Cloves and cubes bruised, each three ounces, spirit of wine and spring water, of each eight gallons. Digest them together for the space of 24 hours, and then draw it off a common alembic. And that's supposed to cure you of um, STIs. Any and all STIs. <laughs> right, and possibly poison you in the process. Because mm. isn't pennyroyal... Like, that's quite dangerous if you take a lot of it. Yeah, mm. it's uh, usually so. known in the context of being an abortificant. Yeah, but I think if, like, if you take a lot, it can like, dilute your blood or something. Mm, it's just a generally not... Yeah, it's, n- it's not a great one to take. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Actually, we had a, a couple in from Mexico, Father sorry, mother and son, and they were chatting in the shop, and they were very into sort of um, herbal lore and things, but the she was telling me one thing that she heard as a child growing up in the 40s was that women would, when they, you know, they felt their husbands were possibly going a little bit astray, they would go to the, the herb woman and she would give them a tea made from foxglove. Ooh. Now, foxglove is poisonous, um, so don't eat it. But take it's a as a neurotoxin, but taken in very small amounts, it makes the person quite sort of docile and a little bit sleepy. So if you were worried that, you know, your significant other might be going off and sharing their affections in places you didn't want them to, slightly poison them. Mm. Just a little bit. Just just, just a, a tad. Just a tad. It has the touch about that truth potion that people mm-hmm. will go for. It mm-hmm. has that vibe about it. I have some other cures um, from a little book I have called What the Apothecary Ordered? Questionable Cures Through the Ages. Um, published um, by Old House Books and Maps. Um, I have one here. Um, for the egg. Which is um, fitting. Oh. Um, a small living spider should be rolled up in a cobweb, then put into a lump of butter and eaten while the fish is on. Pills also may be made of the cobwebs in which the eggs remain and taken daily for three days, after which time it will be too dangerous to continue the treatment. And that's from Ancient Cures, Charms and Usages of Ireland, published in 1890. Oh, fun. Mm. There's another one which is um, for flagging breasts, <laughs> <laughs> published in A Thousand Notable Things in 1579. Uh, if a woman anoint often her dugs or paps with the juice of succory, which is juice of chicory, it will make them little, round and hard, for if they be hanging or flagging, it will draw them together whereby they shall seem as the dogs of a maid. 
<laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but chicory does have a skin tightening effect, so... So there is there is truth yeah, in it. Yeah, there is truth. A lot of these, these old herbal cures, there is truth in it. And sort of we've sort of taken what works now and made it science now that we have things like microscopes to look at it. Mm. But you can sort of laugh at them and say, you know, snail water is a bit ridiculous, but maybe. Maybe it did have an effect. Maybe, you know, just washing. Mm. Yeah. Be it with <laughs> snail water or regular water had a bit of an effect. Yeah. Or maybe even, like, when you take that... You're now more sick from that than from the original ailment. So you'll believe that the original ailment is gone. And you'll be less likely to spread it around. Mm. Yeah. Any other bizarre cures you can think of? I know there's a whole thing with like sympathetic magic, which Biddy practiced, which is the whole idea that things like will go with like and sort of like the doctrine of signatures. So like if you have a, a urinary issue, look for something yellow. Dandelion tea. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dandelion yeah, yeah. tea for... Kidneys, bladder, UTIs. All that. Yeah. <laughs> all that jazz. That's uh, the whole doctrine yeah. of signatures, but yeah. also that... My granny talk- used to do yeah. that, actually. Really? Yeah. And if you take, like, a bit of something... Uh, also the whole thing of, like, a phallic-shaped vegetables for phallic issues. Uh, that light goes with like, And also, like, if the whole thing of, like, taking a little bit of the milk from this cow, you can do an effect on it. Sort of, mm-hmm. But one of the things was, if you took a bit of cloth, you'd rip it in two and you'd wrap one piece around the part of the body that was ailing you, mm-hmm. so maybe your wrist or your throat or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you'd wrap another bit around a fairy tree. And it was said that as the cloth decayed on the tree and as the colour bleached out of it, it would take the pain away from the yeah. afflicted area. So there's a lot of things, and also a lot of things about red being a magical and protective colour. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you get a lot of things about for good luck uh, winding a red string or to stop the fairies and the witches who turned into hares and were trying to drink the milk out of your cow. A lot about milk and cows. Mm-hmm. You'd tie a red string into the tail of your cow. <laughs> yeah. And that would apparently keep them away. Red turns up in a lot of magical creatures and stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. Red, it's a powerful colour. Yeah. yeah. So leprechauns were said to wear red. Meros had a red, red hat. hat. Red. Yeah. Um, and in Jewish folklore, tying a piece of red string around you is meant to keep curses away. Mm-hmm. So red is a powerful colour. We're sitting and on a, red and carpet. And of course, in, is in, in China, that red is the colour of luck yeah. as well. And you wear it for your weddings. And yeah, and things like that. Important yeah. things. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. also, like, for a long time, red was one of the easiest colours to dye. Yeah. As well, from nature. Yeah. You could you could mm. get a reliable red. Yeah. So it was it was fairly to hand as mm. well. So I hope um some of those cures have piqued your interest. Maybe you want to go gather a few snails, see if you can find the name of your beloved. Or a few dead bodies. Or- sounds from the shadows <laughs> do not contone the desecration of corpses, uh. <laughs> So if you do, we won't tell. Yeah, I mean, don't be like Dame Alice, just don't get caught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you've liked this, uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your cunning folk. You can find us on various social media forums. On Instagram, we're Tales from the Shadows. On Facebook, we're Tales from the Shadows. On Twitter, we're Tales Shadows. Again, because we have a theatre group called Tales from the Shadows and I made all the social media beforehand. And So we do yeah. do live shows as well. As the podcast, um, where we do shadow puppetry and we tell stories. So we talk about the stories here 
and then we tell them in our live shows. Yeah. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. And I've been Emily. I've been Shanon, and will continue to be, hopefully. I'm Deirdre. I survived till the end. Great. And... <laughs> Bye! <laughs> when shall we three meet again? In... Thunder, lightning, lightning or in rain. rain. When the hurly-burly's done, when the battle's lost and won. Where the place upon the heath, there to meet Macbeth. <laughs>